Love the Word of God. Don't you love the Word of God? Um, I love Jesus. Um, he is so good. He is so faithful. His Word is so encouraging. Um, you know, the Bible says this, when you're happy, sing songs with one another. When you're sad, encourage one another, mourn with one another. And uh, today we're going to encourage one another in the Word, so I'm looking forward to that. What we start, as I said last week, I didn't want to start a new series before I was gone for two weeks, and then we had the Jamaica recap because it'd just be too much time passing there. So I'm bringing back a couple of the messages from International Convention that we were at in, uh, in Seattle back at the end of May, beginning of June, because I think it's important. One, for us pastors, you know, we get away, we hear what God is doing in Foursquare, but I think it's also important to bring it back to the congregation. What is God speaking to His church specifically as it relates to Foursquare? Now, we don't, we, you know, our denomination, I've, I've said this a hundred times, we, we don't really set ourselves apart. On our cornerstone uh, of, our, of our church, or the headquarters, it says this, we are committed to the, inter, to the uh, international worldwide evangelism. Because we believe in partnering with interdenominational uh, worldwide evangelism. Because we believe in partnering with the body of Christ to reach this world. And so we're, we're very excited about being able to do that. But what is God speaking to us? Today is going to tie in with what we spoke of last week. You know, last week we were talking about the five principles of gospel, trans gospel transformation. Get my mouth running today. Gospel transformation. Uh, no comments, Chad. <laughs> oh, my mouth running. Um, gospel transformation. What are those five principles that we learned about as Paul wrote it to, to the church there? And we talked about how what made the church so successful then is what makes us successful today. And we talked about persistent faithfulness, being faithful to God, to who He is, uh, to church attendance, to Bible study so that you're hearing a lot of the Word. We also talked about intentional effort. You know, effort does have to be intentional, doesn't, uh, doesn't it? Um, the word, there's, there's a phrase that just kind of flashed across good intentions. It's that persistent, it's that intentional effort, the follow-through of that. Then we talked about radical reliance, that we have to be reliant upon the person of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, who empowers us to do the work. Then Christ-like transformation, so as we're doing all these things, Jesus does transform us through the power of His Holy Spirit to be the witnesses that He's called us to. And the, as a result of that, the fifth thing we talked about was obvious difference. There should be an obvious difference of you and I to the folks of, of, of the world. Because why? Because we have Jesus within us who is the Prince of Peace, who is our provider, who helps us through the difficult times, who, uh, you know... When we do have those difficult times, it's not that we don't have struggles, but we have God who gives us peace during those times. So that's the obvious difference, uh, that we are like bright lights, the Bible says, shining in the world around us. Well, what we want to see today is a specific story of how these were put into action. Before Paul even wrote his part, we're going to see a story of Jesus and his interaction with the woman at the well. So if you want to go ahead and turn to John uh, 4... We are going to talk about this particular lady today, actually, is, is what we're going we're gonna to talk about. And there's a song that came from this, and um, we're going to be real here for a moment. This is one of those songs that we sang in youth group as I was growing up, and i got to tell you, it eventually, you're like, if I don't ever hear that song again, life will be good. 
And, and here's why. In this particular song, what some of the youth and, and what we would do is this. We would get to this certain part, and it's funny because the speaker was talking about this very song at, uh, at convention, and, and what got on her nerves is what got on my nerves. Isn't it sad as, you know, sometimes things even get on our nerves. We don't, we don't like that. But there's this part of the song you would get to, and everybody would go, splish, splash, splish, splash. You know what song I'm talking about, some of you don't. Well, as the speaker was talking, we knew what she was saying, but she said, let's stop for a minute and let's listen to the words. She said, this song may not be your jam. And I was like, hallelujah, that song is not my jam. It's it's just not my jam. But you began to listen to the words. And it said, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And what does it do? It makes the lame walk and the blind see. It opens prison doors and it sets captives free. I've got a river of life. Now, it's still not my jam. I guess it's the tune of it or whatever. But, it's, but man, when you listen to those words, it is so powerful. And summed up in there really is the gospel. I've got this river of life that's, that's flowing out of me. The transformation from the Holy Spirit. The lost are saved. Praise God for that. The sick are healed. Amen. The captives are set free because of the river of life, which is the power of the Holy Spirit that flows out of us. You know, in Christendom, uh, we we like it when it flows into us. We we need that. And it's an essential part. It it can't flow out unless the holy power of the Holy Spirit flows in. So we, we have to like both of those things. Lord, overflow me. Fill me to overflowing so that that river of life flows through me and out of me. Well, today, as we go through this, I want you to ask, God, what, what are you speaking to me today? All right, can we start off with that mindset? God, what are you speaking to me today? So John chapter 4, we're going to read quite a bit of this, okay? So I want you to hang with me, and I want you to listen to this story. Um, Clint, it's not a bedtime story. So um, can I tell you something real quick, what Clint does to me? He was excited whenever he heard that Stasha was going to be speaking. Anytime she speaks, he's like, well, I'm excited that she's speaking. He's kind of excited, kind of not. But he says, whenever she speaks, I can't take a nap. Some of you are like, oh, okay, I get it. He sleeps when Pastor David is speaking. So today I'm going to preach right back here. John chapter 4, verse 4. This is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way of where he was going. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. How would you get this living water? 
And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. Ed, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said to her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gezerim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, all the... Um, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, build the dramatic music, I am the Messiah. What an amazing encounter and story, especially as you unwrap the, uh, the history. And we're actually, as uh, the lady, by the way, the, the lady's name was Brenda Salter McNeil. And if you want to look her up on YouTube, man, she's got some amazing messages. Uh, Brenda Salter McNeil, spelled just like it sounds, M-C-N-E-I-L. Um, so anyway, amazing woman of God. But she was speaking, and, and how she brought this out was this. We're going to look at this story from the viewpoint today of this woman. You know, we can look at it from the viewpoint of Jesus, and we'll see some things from there as well. But the perspective of this woman. Now, this woman typically gets a bad reputation. You know, we, we assume some things about her. Uh, we assume that uh, everything was a divorce. We don't know that, Miss Vicki and I were talking about. We don't know that necessarily. Maybe her, some of her husbands may have died, but we assume at least some of those were a divorce divorce in there, and so we, and then she's living with this guy at the moment, and uh, just, just a whole lot of things that we assume that's going on there, and here's what's interesting as well, she never, her name is never mentioned, she doesn't have a name, so two strikes that are against her, but what we're going to see today is how much she really is like us as we go through this story, how much maybe she uh, is like us in our past, or maybe a current situation that we're going through. And here's what we're going to look at first of all today. The Samaritan woman was an outcast who needed to be reconciled to God. Now, all of us at some point may have lived a great life. We were far away from Jesus and we needed to be reconciled to God. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what reconciliation is all about. Now, as you look at this culture, we've heard this before, but Samaritans were despised by the Jews. It wasn't a, we just, I don't, I don't like what you're wearing today. They were despised, despised, despised. They were not liked at all by the Jews. But Jesus here was on a mission. Now, here's how much the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They would not enter into Samaria. They would go out of their way to not have to go through Samaria. But Jesus made it a point 
to go to the outcast. Just like Jesus has made it a point to come to you and me. See, the reality is Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, but he did. You see what I'm saying there? He didn't have to go through Samaria, but he chose to. He had to do what others chose not to do in order to reach an outcast. And I'm thankful that God did that for me, where, where some people may have said, you know, here's uh, and me and my mom and, and my brother, here, here's, here's a woman. And of course, you know, back in the day, you know, divorce was not looked kindly upon even in the church when we were coming up. And of course, you know, you've heard my story about dad and all. I had this group of believers that came, and, and not all of them, but most of them wrapped their arms around my family and said, we have a place for you. We love you. And there's something about when the people of God go to someone who's considered an outcast and bring them in. That's what Jesus was doing. He had to do what others chose not to do in order to reach an outcast. I had a, a phone call this week. Um, actually, it was yesterday. I had a guy call me, and he said this, and, and, and I want us to be aware of this, okay? But he said, would you all welcome someone into your church? It almost broke my heart. Would you welcome someone into your church who is a recovering drug addict? I was like, let me think about that for a minute. Yes. Amen. Would your church be welcoming to someone who, who is really trying to recover? Now, I don't know if these folks are going to come or not. I pray, I pray that they do. Lord, send them here so that we can help them heal, so that we can love them, that we go to the outcast. And when the outcasts come to us, we're here for you. How can, how can we help? Jesus was on a mission to reconcile someone who needed to be reconciled to God. Church, there are people that need Jesus that cause us to be compelled to go out of our way to reach them. Out of our way to reach them. I have this thought convenience by people. You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, I saw those hands going up. Lisa! I thought you were a child of God. You have been inconvenienced by people. As I was processing through this, I, mean, I was, I'm talking, I was talking, thinking over this a couple of days. That I was, just, I was processing through this. And here's what I have found. In those moments where I have been inconvenienced, it was in reality a divine appointment. And kind of, I had to drop to my knees and say, God, I have missed so many appointments that you have given to me, forgive me, because I saw someone as an inconvenience. Lord, forgive me. There are so many people that need to be Jesus, that need Jesus, and we are being compelled to go out of our way to reach them. Jesus re uh, reconciles across denominational lines, racial lines, socioeconomic lines, cultural lines, you see, Jesus put himself on display through us in this text. He said, I'm going out of my way to reach this person that everybody else said was an outcast. There are people you don't associate with or wouldn't normally go encounter, but God was a woman. Let's understand this cultural for a moment. That's not a slam on today's society, right? Well, some circles it is. Um, but... In this particular culture, she was a Samaritan, which were despised by the Jews, but she was a woman who was considered property. She had so many things against her. Her gender and her ethnicity were both wrong in this culture. 
In this culture, she was considered unclean all the time. And according to the Jews, if you were to touch someone who was unclean, you would be unclean. Which meant you couldn't go to the temple to worship. Which meant you couldn't do all these things. You couldn't be around other people. So they wouldn't go up to this woman because they didn't want to be unclean. So many things were against this particular woman as we read about her life. Her gender, her ethnicity were wrong. In this culture, she was unclean. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine? I mean, eventually it gets to a point in her life where she's like, this is just the way it is. I'm not going to go to the well when I know other people are going to be there. I'm going to go in the middle of the afternoon because no one will be there. That was her life. There was this girl. I remember in fifth grade. I mean, I remember it so vividly. But there was this girl. And because of her last name, she sat in front of me like third grade through fifth grade that, that I can remember. She was always in front of me. Normal, I guess you would what we consider normal. She was a little awkward and all these things. And I can just remember, uh, of course, I was in church at this point, and I, I, and I, I had this vivid memory of just thinking, this is not right, what's going on. But I also remember not doing much about it, if I'm being honest. I was in fifth grade, and I didn't know what to do. But I can remember there were times where I would talk to her, but then there were times that kids would make fun. You know how it is when you're kids, and and you would kind of laugh along, uncomfortably laugh along. You knew it was wrong, but yet you would still laugh. And as I was studying this text, I began to think about this girl, Jody was her name. I won't say her last name. I don't know that any of you would know her. And so here I am. I'm like, I wonder whatever happened to her. And so I started creeping on Facebook. You know, that's kind of creepy when people do that. I wanted to see what she was up to. And lo and behold, I found her. You know, I didn't friend her or anything because I don't want her to think I was a creep or anything. But it was this text that made me think. And I, was, I began to pray for her. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit dropped her in my memory from fifth grade. Well, she's married now. She's doing really well. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that she wasn't totally scarred. Because we hear all the horror, horror stories of people who are picked on and bullied in school and, and all these things. But imagine what this did to the Samaritan woman. Imagine what this did to Jody. Well, this particular woman began to, as we infer, at least in some of these situations, we infer this. And a Jewish man is sitting there and even talked to her. No Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus was willing to bridge the gap at that time. And you know what? He expects us to as well. Bridge the gap from people who need Jesus, whether believers or whether they're, not, whether they're believers or not believers. Jesus wants to, us to bridge the gap. Man, I hear all the stories that come rolling in through the week. You call me, you text me. And so today is an encouragement and an applause. And it's also one of these things. Keep doing it. Amen. Keep doing it. Bridge those gaps of people who are far from Jesus, or maybe they're kind of close but not quite there yet. Let's bridge those gaps. This woman met Jesus at a time she didn't expect. Like I said, she came in the afternoon when, no, according to the story, nobody else was there. So she's thinking, I can go draw my water. No one's going to be looking at me and thinking, what a terrible woman. But Jesus was there. It wasn't on a Sunday at church. It wasn't on a Wednesday night at church. It wasn't at a Bible study. But here's the thing that we need to hear. Jesus is always there. For us and through us. We may be the only Jesus that some people are able to see. That's cliche. We hear outcast. 
this Samaritan woman, probably for the first time in a long time, did not repulse someone, and that was Jesus. Jesus was not repulsed by her. Because of this, the Samaritan woman was part of Jesus' mission. What would it look like if every person was part of the mission that God had given? Now, we can't reach everybody, can we? But those who crossed our path, what if they were part of our mission? See, here's what's interesting too. Did you notice that Jesus did not immediately point out her flaws and her sins? I tend to judge book by its cover. Anybody else do that? You don't have to raise your hand on that one either. And I may not voice it, but I'm looking and I'm thinking, what in the world? What kind of shirt is Doug wearing today? Or you're like, what is Pastor wearing today? He's got on jeans and a bright colored shirt. I'm getting ready for Jamaica. <laughs> it's bright in Jamaica, you know. We begin to judge books by their cover. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm standing before you guilty today, even though I may not voice it. But Jesus didn't immediately point out her flaws and her sins. And sometimes they are so obvious, aren't they? The sins of others are so obvious. Ours aren't so much. Mine aren't so much. But others, they're, they're, they're obvious. But Jesus asked for her help. He said, he, he knew what was judging. He asked for her help. When we go on missions trips, <clears throat> excuse me, when we go on missions trips from the church here, it's not to show how superior we are and to point out the needs of the people that we go to. Missions was like that for a long time. I'm, I'm so glad it's changing. As a matter of fact, missions trips looks a lot like this now. Relationship. You go there and you give, but you also receive. We've been able to bring back, I think, a total of six guys from Jamaica. Uh, over, over two or three years, we've been able to bring them back. Because we recognize this. Not only do we have a lot to offer, but man, we have a lot that we can receive from these people. We have so much. So I'm excited to go to Jamaica. I am going to be speaking. This year, I get to do the Holy Spirit class, which is five mornings of teachings. The whole time. That's the way it's planned right now, Dean. That could change, right? You know, it's possible. I am so excited about that because in years past, it was Pastor Bob, and then it was someone from Jamaica, and then it was... And this year, I got the call, hey, will you do the Holy Spirit class? I'm like, yes. But I'm going to come to receive from you as well. And we do, don't we guys who've been there before? Kendall, oh, I know you're excited, aren't you? Nathan, man, we're excited to go. What time's our plane leave Saturday? Yeah, 9.30, okay. Come on, 9.30. We don't go on missions trips to show how superior superior we are and point out their needs. We'll give life. They have something potentially that could give life along the way. Look at the homeless, look at the refugee, look at the outcast. Those can offer life to us as well. How is that? They show us how maybe through their love, through their sacrificial giving, even though they don't have anything. How do we view people? How do I view people? Jesus said, can I have a drink of water? But then he offered her living water. And she's like, what is that? So here's this woman. She's probably getting bored with this guy. First of all, she was shocked, right? Who's this guy talking to me? And then she's like, all right, this is kind of uncomfortable. I don't know this guy but what's this living water that he's talking about that I won't ever have to come here and get a drink before? Jesus got her attention with that. He took her off guard, and she had to question what he meant because she needed something. Here's what I know about Jesus. He is intriguing. When we began to tell the story of how he gave us life, how he changed our life, turned us around, Jesus is intriguing. What are some things that we can do? Well, she was telling the story here about uh, Kenya. 
Now, we haven't been to Kenya, but I don't know how far that is away from Niger. But they have this interesting uh, tradition in, in Kenya. She was telling the story of how she got there, and there was this funeral procession that was going right through the middle of town. And apparently it was just for this guy. We're just going to call him Mike, okay, because that's an easy enough name to remember. But the, the people were, were, two days later, Mike comes to church. And she was like, wait a minute, I thought you were dead. And he said, let me tell you something, sister. I, the old me is dead. I came to Jesus three days ago and we had my funeral service and now I am alive in Jesus Christ. What would that do to a culture that we have a funeral service for Dean when he comes to Jesus and he shows up two days, I thought you were dead. And he's like, I was, but now I'm alive in Jesus Christ and I'm a new person. That will get somebody's attention, won't it? I mean, like, you were dead. You're absolutely right. I was but Jesus has given me life. You know, we may not do that, things like that in our culture, but Jesus is intriguing. He really is. And we have the opportunity to present him to people. The Samaritan woman, what she was doing was drawing from the wrong well. She kept drawing from the wrong well. And Jesus began to point this out. See, sin keeps drawing me and you to the wrong well. Many within the church, many without the church today still go to the wrong well for fulfillment. We have our habits. I have my habits. We have our vices. I have my own certain people, ice cream and donuts for fulfillment. Hallelujah for Krispy Kreme. Right? Those things that we go to for fulfillment, but here's the thing, it's not working. And we keep going back to this particular well that's not offering living water. This woman, though, is ready for the living water. And so we're like, all right, Jesus, she's ready to be saved today. Go ahead and, as uh, this lady who was preaching, she said, seal the deal, Jesus. But he's like, no, not right now. And there's a reason why he didn't at this, this particular moment. He wanted to go another step further. He said, go get your husband. Why would Jesus do this? She's ready. Pray this prayer of salvation. Bring her into the kingdom. But in verse 15, Jesus says, go get your husband. Why would you do this? And here's the reason. Jesus needed her to identify the counterfeit so that she could value the real thing, which was the living water. The counterfeit were these men that she kept running to, right? Well, let's talk about the culture for a moment. She needed a man to give her a place to live and to provide for her. Just the culture of the time. And Jesus needed her to identify the counterfeit thing that was her provision, the counterfeit thing that was her fulfillment, so that she could value Jesus. He was saying, let's, is what he was telling her. We're going to swap this thing out. Give Jesus what really doesn't satisfy, and he will give you what does. Give Jesus what doesn't work, and he will give you what does work. Give Jesus the false thing, and he will give you the truth. What are those things that we are running to to find and seek fulfillment that's not working? Jesus says, bring it to me. Let's make a divine swap. I will give you living water. Verse 17, we see where the Samaritan woman said, I don't have a husband because she wasn't about to go into all the details. It's a long story, Jesus. I, just, I, just, I don't have a husband. And she was happy to leave it with that. It would take way too long 
to explain. But Jesus was going to show her that she could discover something better. The Samaritan woman discovered something better. Jesus goes on to say, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke truth. See, here's something we need to see again in this culture. Women did not divorce men. It wasn't part of the culture. You, you, you could not go and divorce your husband in this uh, particular culture. Also, divorce was it could be very trivial. Now, we think divorce in today's culture is, is trivial, and you know sometimes it is. Sometimes there's very real things behind there. Potentially five times. We, again, we don't know if some of these were deaths or if they were all divorces. But she had been rejected potentially five times. All the husband had to do was going to a public space, bring his wife, let's just say the synagogue for a moment, really the center of town or anything, have his wife beside of her, look at her and say, I divorce you. I divorce you, I divorce you. And it was done. How many times did she face rejection? And each time she kept going back to something that wasn't the real thing. And Jesus says, I am here to give you living water. She was damaged goods who was trying to not be homeless. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? Damaged goods, trying not to be homeless. She didn't start out her life with the goal of being married five times. It wasn't her goal. I don't know this anybody's goal, is it? I mean, those of you who've gone through it, you think, man, that's not my goal in life. That's not my goal. And Jesus was there, just like this, saying, I've got living water for you. This particular woman kept going back to a well that couldn't satisfy. What is it for us? Work overeating, shopaholic, trying to step on all the toes that I have 20, right? There's a lot in there. Jesus wants to, I'm talking about things that we look to to bring fulfillment, okay? I like eating just like the next person. I'm not a shopper. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I only have 10 toes. Did I say 20? Yeah. That's why I love my wife. She's so awesome. I have 10 toes. 10 toes. I'll take my shoes off here. That's a divine swap. Jesus wants to make a divine swap with you. The water Jesus provides isn't a well from the outside in, but from the inside out. Rivers of living water will spring forth. See, what she was looking for was things from the outside that would help her, which really didn't. Jesus said, the water that I'm going to give you is going to change you from the inside out. Now look at her response in verse 19 as we're wrapping this up. She tries the same, change the subject. Isn't it kind of odd that she would ask about where do you worship? Well, you know, when, when people start to identify something that's uncomfortable in your life, like, you know, something that or the Holy Spirit does, you know, you need to change this about you. I want to develop this in your life or this particular thing. What do we want to do? We want to change the subject. Now, I got to tell you real quick, this is not, yeah. My, one of the family members start talking politics. Man, she is, and it's not obvious. I mean, it's, it's very obvious. It's not subtle. She can change the subject just like that. Right, Mom? You're, you, she has her way because she's a peace maker. She, she wants peace. That's where I get it from, I guess, right? But here what we're looking at is changing the subject when it's starting to hurt us 
And that's what she was doing. She was changing the subject. When Jesus puts his hand on our problems and issues, we want to change the subject. But Jesus brings her back. And he says, it's not about your label, which is what she was looking at. Where should we worship? We're Samaritans, you're Jews. It's not about the mask you cover up with. Jesus wants you to worship fully. He wants other people who need him to be able to worship fully, no matter their label, no matter their mask, no matter what well they keep running back to. He wants to give them the well that gives them living water that springs from the inside out. Jesus tells her that he is who she's been waiting for. Woman, I am the Messiah. I can give you this living water because he is the answer. Can we stand this morning? And I want to charge us with something. I want us to think about something. That's why I have you change positions all of a sudden. So now that you've got your Bibles, you're closing. He is who people are waiting for around you. Jesus is the Messiah. There may be some areas that you're still going back to an old well. Like I said, some habits. I have. We have. And I, and I think, well, if I just do this, it, it always makes me feel better when I do that. And Jesus is saying, I'm your all in all. I'm all you need. So not only for us, but for those who we may know, what are those divine appointments that we've missed? God, forgive me. Just like I was on my knee. God, forgive me. I mean, I, I could... I could rattle off some right now, some divine appointments that I've missed recently because of an inconvenience or whatever. Lord, there's people who need you. There's people who are waiting for you, Jesus. You're waiting for them. They're waiting for you. Jesus is the answer. He wants us to exchange the false thing for the real thing. And he wants our friends and family to exchange the false thing for the real thing. Worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Worship Him in spirit and in truth.